Welcome in, everybody, to episode number 17 of Play Pants. So we'll talk about the anniversary or birthday, if you will, of Appetite for Destruction. At the time of this recording, the album is now 34 years old. We'll talk about what that album means to us. Woodstock 99, there's going to be a great documentary. Well, at least I hope it's great. And Rod was at that show. He's going to tell us a little bit about the mayhem that ensued. And that's going to lead us into a conversation where we're going to discuss our top five favorite concerts. We'll actually talk a little bit about podcasts themselves, who listens, what you're doing while you're listening, and some final thoughts. Let's go. It's Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. See us on our YouTube channel and follow our social media pages at Play Pants Pod. Welcome to episode 17 of the Play Pants Podcast, brought to you by Lucky's Pub West in Houston and Pirates of the Quarter Tours here in New Orleans, where I am broadcasting from. Jason Ginty here, Rod Ryan over there. Rod, uh, it's it's National Hot Dog Day today. What oh. do you put? What do you put on your hot dog? You really want to get into it right now? I put I ketchup on my hot dog. I'm going to punch you in the face if you're super anti-ketchup. I don't want to hear from you. No, no, I don't I don't give a shit what anybody puts on our hot dog. I put ketchup on mine every time. Thank you. I mean, is it a northern thing that we put ketchup on our hot dogs? I'm telling you, this is really, it. it I had no idea you were going to bring this up, but Jesus Christ, does that piss people off? Hot weird. ketchup doesn't belong on a hot dog. Yes, it does. It, why Why does it? What are the uh, reasons why people say it doesn't, Ron? I don't get it. I don't get it. I love it's it. The hot dogs, they're made out of lips and assholes, and it goes great with ketchup. It does. It, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's just I never lived in a world where we even questioned ketchup. It just was an automatic for me. There was ketchup. There was mustard. There was relish. You know, if you wanted to do the onions... And that was it. The only thing that I'm pretty strict on is a toasted bun, man, a toasted roll, a toasted bun. I take the time. If you're going to have a hot dog at my house, and I know most people don't even care, but I just want you to know I will take the time. I will toast your hot dog bun. Yeah, you should because it gives a little extra crispiness. You throw it, yeah. I'll throw it on the grill just for a couple of seconds. I'll put it in a toaster if I'm cooking in the house. I just, I think the ketchup thing, I think Anthony Bourdain in one episode said, you don't put a ketchup on a hot dog. That's not how you do it. And then people go, oh, well, if he said it, fuck, I can't. I don't give a shit. Uh, Ketchup, mustard, crushed up potato chips. That's what I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's your hot dog. Do what you want with it. Now, let me ask you this, though. This came up and I thought it was kind of interesting. People put the condiments on before they lay in the hot dog now that's crazy that doesn't sound like a crazy idea i've never done it even once i have never laid all that shit down and then put the hot dog in there but i think my next dog i'm going to try that i don't know why i've never even thought of doing that it totally makes sense to me if you are getting i know downtown buffalo we go out drinking all night seeing shows they had the hot dog carts out there and they got the lucky dogs here in new orleans which i don't suggest really but they hand you the hot dog so you can't do that. I mean, you can lift the wiener out and hang on to it in your oh, dirty, grubby hands. When you're getting a dog somewhere, they're going to put the dog, nestle it inside the bun, and then you're going to have to put all the condiments on the – I mean, think of a right. ball game. Every yeah. hot dog exactly. that you've ever gotten at a, at a baseball game or any game, it's going to already come in there, and then you got to put all the shit on top of it. But 
in the comfort of your own home, I don't think it sounds crazy to put all the condiments on first and then lay the dog in there. Yeah, it's got a nice little wet blanket to lay in. It's like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. It's like a waterbed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it makes it different whether it's on top or in the bottom. It's just going into your mouth. Who cares? Some guy in Chicago or something a couple of weeks ago said that he was making flat, round hot dogs. So what do I say? Yeah, it's called bologna, dude. Bologna. It's bologna. It's bologna. That's kind of the same. Yep. He did not want to cop to that, but yeah, he was making more of a sandwich hot dog. That's hot dogs and bologna are the same thing, right? Close enough. It's cheap. It's in. We ate a ton of hot dogs growing up, and I ate a ton of bologna growing up because the shit was cheap. It's what we had. My <laughs> grandma would go to the butcher and not have them slice the bologna up. I mean, we always got sliced bologna. We ate bologna all the time. Yeah, but. If you, my grandma would go get a hunk of it and she would chop thick pieces of it, fry it up with some onions and call it a Polish hamburger. That's what this guy is serving up. Fried bologna sandwiches. You can do them with the thinly sliced bologna, but you can also do it with like a bologna steak. So, you know, there's a big revitalization in downtown Buffalo. And one of the places that we went to outside of where the Sabres play, all these like old um industrial buildings are kind of you know a bunch of bars now and on the the chalkboard you know everybody's got like the the six million crap beers on the chalkboard and everything's handwritten and it looks cool then there's some of the menu items and i saw you could buy a fried bologna sandwich oh nice that's gotta be a back home thing right i've never seen one here in new orleans uh, i've never seen I one here in houston <laughs> I, I mean you know again that's a blue that's a hard knuckle dragon wrench turn in Hammer swing in town, man. Buffalo is it's a rust belt. That's a rust belt thing. I think you got Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, that whole region. I would, I would assume if someone's listening from those areas. Yeah. I would. A fried bologna sandwich. I don't know if it was the shaved bologna or if it was a bologna steak, which again, my grandma called a Polish hamburger. <laughs> I'm Polish. I can tell that joke. Um, yeah. Dude, look what I'm holding up. Look what I'm holding up. If you're watching okay. this, on YouTube, you can watch this podcast on YouTube and see our dumbasses in our home studios uh, doing this every week. It's pretty cool. I'm holding up probably my seventh or eighth copy of this album. You're welcome, Slash. You're welcome, Axel. I've worn out this album to death a million times. I've got the vinyl downstairs. I'm just too lazy. I've got, I'm holding up a CD of one of my favorite albums of all time, Appetite for Destruction. Yes. From Guns and Freaking Roses. I've got a CD copy. I burnt through two cassette copies back in the day. How so many copies have you bought? When, so so t- we're going to get into it. Today, 34 <clears> years <throat> today, uh, in 1987, Guns and Roses released their debut album, Appetite for Destruction. So we're going to dig into it a little bit. What was your first physical copy? Because there was no digital back then. Mm-hmm. In what form did you get this album in? Wait, Hold on, before you, what, what year, 87 is how many years ago? Well, 87, the year came out. You didn't get it. I didn't get it until a year later. 88 is when it got hit. So what's that, 30, 33 years? 33 years? So if you're, so uh, my point is, if you're 32 or 33 years old. 30, it came out 34, so we got it. We've had the album for 33 years. Right. Technically, it's been out 34 years today. Gotcha. So 33, so if you're 33, your mom and dad were fucking to this. 
Hmm. Think about that. Guns and Roses. I just ruined Guns and Roses for every 33-year-old out there. <laughs> Mom, ankles in the air, just getting pinned back. Dad's like, yeah, fucking welcome to the jungle, biatch. Well, that's 87 is when I graduated high school. <laughs> oh, so my mom and dad were not banging to Guns N' Roses. So you did not ruin the album for me. So my question to you, what in what physical form did you own your first copy of Appetite? It was a cassette. It was totally a cassette. Yeah. It was a, it was a cassette. Yeah, I had it. I had the home boom box. You know, you could carry around. That thing <laughs> went in there. I played the shit out of that. And then I, I burned it out. I burnt, I wore the fucking tape out. I had to go buy another copy of Appetite. That was my second one on cassette. Years later, I replaced it on CD at some point. Right. And then that got worn out. Cause you know, back in the day, you just throw your CDs in your car and the visor on the floor, you lose it. And that got all scratched up. So this is probably my second or third CD copy, which I haven't bought CDs in years. And then I bought the vinyl because my uh, my son's like, man, that Guns N' Roses album looks really cool. And I'm like, all yeah, right, let's get so the vinyl. That's what I'm holding in my hand. This is a reissue. I mean, look how shiny and oh, new it is. I mean, you know, this, what I'm holding in my hand, you can tell is not 34 years old. Um, they reissued this and, you know, I, I, I wanted the vinyl. I, I feel like I did own the vinyl. I can't find it. I'm pretty good about keeping stuff. You know that. Jesus. So um, I'm thinking that my first... What I owned was a GNR Appetite cassette. And then like you, I did the same path as you. I had a cassette first, burned through that. And then when I when it came out on CD, I went out and got the CD because I wanted to take that everywhere with me. Uh, just, just an unbelievable record. I think maybe on a future, I didn't want to put you on the spot with this one, but the best hitting drop the needle opening track on oh. an album. Is there anything better than Welcome to the Jungle when it hits? Or go back to your cassette and hit play. You rewind it, <laughs> sign side one, you rewind it all the way, you hit play. And then Slash comes on with that guitar. And it is still so fucking powerful. Yeah. I'm talking needle dropper. What is the best opening needle dropper? I know that you're going to say maybe Van Halen. You really got me. I believe that's the first track on Van Halen one, you know, master of puppets, you know, that opener. Yeah. There, there's some great ones out there, but I'm telling you, this has got to be in the argument for that song being laid out as the first track on the album. And it didn't hurt that. That was the song that we all knew from guns and roses at the time. Cause it was the first release. It was the first single. And the only reason why this song, the only reason why this band even became Guns N' Roses is because MTV finally agreed to play the video. The album was out for almost a year and it really wasn't doing much. If you were in Los Angeles, you knew who Guns N' Roses was. They ruled the Hollywood strip. They right. were the kings. So everybody in Los Angeles knew who these guys were. The rest of the world didn't. And we didn't live in a world with the internet and everybody knew everything about everybody's shit wherever they were. So we needed MTV. MTV kind of got talked into running the video at like late at night, four o'clock in the morning, David Geffen called in a favor and then they started getting phone calls. And this is another one of those instances where you'll never hear from, you know, this will never happen like this again. 
MTV jumped on it and then radio stations started playing it. Right. And then I got it. I did not know 34 years ago today. I did not know who guns and roses was. It was a solid year for me before I finally caught on. When it first came out, it only sold like 200,000 copies originally. Yeah. And then I can't remember the exact, um, but they released like um, it's so easy as the first single and it didn't do shit. Okay. And then I think it was Welcome to the Jungle was released, and that didn't do well. They released Sweet Child. That did great, because that's, that's when everyone got to know the, the, the band. <clears throat> and then they re-released Welcome afterwards. Okay. Because they knew it was going to work. They just, it never took off originally. And the MTV thing is cool. They, um, they agreed to play it three times. MTV, Geffen Records got MTV to play the, the video three times. They said, play it three times for us. One of them three, was like, three, if the first time it was like four in the morning though, wasn't it? Three, yeah, it was three times, okay. three days in a row, three times. And then it blew up from there. That's, I mean, That's, you talk about just giving it a rip, man. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to ever happen like that again. You need that power of MTV. And then of course it came on MTV and it was just dirty. It was just a dirty, dirty looking band. It was great. Welcome to the jungle. It's so easy. Night train out to get me, Mr. Brownstone and paradise city. I mean, you just have banger after banger after banger. It's just unbelievable. My Michelle opens up side R. Yeah. Side, side A was side G. Side B was side R on this album. Yep. My Michelle, think about you, sweet child of mine, you're crazy, anything goes, and Rocket Queen. It ends with Rocket Queen, which is just a fucking, just a banger. Um. I'll say this about Guns N' Roses. This is the reason they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is the only reason they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They got in on one album. They did. I'm not saying Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 weren't good. And I'm not saying there wasn't a fran frenzy around them because the band was the biggest band in the world. They got in. Nirvana got into the Hall of Fame because of Nevermind and what they did in the Cultural Revolution. Same thing with Guns N' Roses. They got in on one album. Use Absolutely. Your Illusion 1 and 2 are really, really good. I don't know if I could bring myself to call them great albums. It would be, like I say with the Beatles and the White Album, it would be the greatest single album of all time if they just would have cut the fat. Yep. Same thing with Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. If they would have just put out one album, then it would have been great. Um, spread out over two, uh, you know, they wanted to do their own thing. And, you know, it was awesome that they were able to do anything they wanted after their debut album. And their touring was great. And they got, you know, once they started to break, they ended up going out and opening for Aerosmith in like 88. Okay. You get on it. And at the time Aerosmith had permanent vacation and that was coming out and blowing up. They, that was their reigniting back into the fold. Cause Aerosmith was dead. Aerosmith was dead. They come out in the seventies are great. They went away all the drugs and then permanent vacation came out. Guns N' Roses, <clears throat> excuse me, got the uh, opening act, opening time slot on the Aerosmith tour. Rolling Stone came out to do a thing on Aerosmith. As the tour's going on and on and on, week after week, and Sweet Child of Mine's blowing up. The band is getting more popular. MTV's mm -hmm. playing the shit out of them. Guns N' Roses ends up on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine and not Aerosmith because that's how fast they blew up through that part once and sweet child took they were live i mean when people talk yeah. about them on the sunset strip before they were signed they just they they just knew they were great they were just yeah. so much better than everybody and everyone knew it 
That's why they walked in. They had the cock of the walk and they walked in Geffen records and they just owned it from day one. Now they didn't get away with absolutely everything. Uh, most people have probably heard that they wanted a different album cover. And if you yeah. go to the inner, the inner sleeve, oh, it's dirty. I can see why this one got smashed. It's like this robotic rapist. And, you know, there's a girl that, you know, I, she just got violated by the, by this robot thing. This is what they wanted as the cover. And David Geffen did said, no way, absolutely no way. We're not going to sell units. I, they may have even pressed some, but they said no way. And then Axel came up back with something else. And so David Geffen did win out the cover that we know for Appetite. He did win his argument and he got him to, to, to put that on the, on the cover. Um, but most things that they wanted, they got. I mean, they kind of walked in. They knew they were going to be superstars. You don't see that much, you know. Bands are so like, golly gee, I'm so happy to be signed. I'll do whatever you want. Right. They didn't do that. They they just didn't do that. The other thing about Guns N' Roses, you always hear Nirvana is the the absolute end of hair metal. Right. Guns N' Roses started it. Guns N' Roses made every single pretty hair band take a look at themselves and go, oh, shit. Hang on a second. I, some people just lump them in with hair metal. And I, I really think that they were... Nirvana absolutely did what people think they did. 100%. But Guns N' Roses started that. And they made all these other bands look at themselves because, boy, they were getting pretty at that point. And Guns N' Roses was not pretty. They were skeezy, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think they almost did as much damage to the scene as what Nirvana did. They did as much damage to the scene because they were fucking great, okay? Look what you had going on in 87, 88. It was the Pretty Boys. It was the Poisons. And I'm not taking but, away that those guys could They were good musicians. They were good musicians. I got to say this about hair metal, not Poison. They sucked. Right. Um, but those bands, they could play their instruments. You know, you make fun of Dokken and blah. But they were, they were good. They were good musicians. They just kind of got caught up in a very poppy, bubblegummy thing. And the songs weren't as good. The songs no, progressively the songs got bad. The music, they could play their musician, their, their instruments, but man, they couldn't put out badass songs. And you can sit there and go, well, what about this song? What, well, there's always going to be a couple examples. Guns N' Roses put out an album that is badass from front to back. There's no real filler on this Appetite album. And going back to your album cover, Rod, because people have got this fucking album. You, they, they don't, you don't even have to hold this up. You can, you're listening to this, and you can see the Guns N' Roses cover. It's the cross. It's like a Celtic cross, right, with the skulls of each member, right? This actually was uh, a tattoo. And uh, the, the guy who did it kind of was a tattoo artist, and he morphed it and did what Axel wanted, and he made this. And he said in the, he, he put in there, um, like the cross has certain designs on it. And that was a nod to Thin Lizzy because Axel is a huge Thin Lizzy fan. You know, like the rope, you know, that looks like rope, the yellow on uh, the purple cross. Mm -hmm. That was a tribute to Thin Lizzy. That it's a subtle tribute that nobody knows about, but that's what it was. And then Axel, who, who fought pretty hard for that inside, you know, that cover of the rapist thing, which was, he says, like, big corporations raping the average person. That was the imagery for that piece, right. right? Which, you know, you're going, you know what he really wanted? He wanted the fucking Challenger blowing up. 
as the album. That was, that was, I, I always heard that the robot rapist was one. Okay. Well then we'll just put the challenger blowing up. And they went, no. And David Geffen's like, no. So that's no. how somehow David Geffen won that argument with this. That's, he, and he just goes, that's in bad taste. And that, that is in bad taste. That would have been a horrible decision. This just is badass. Um, hair metal was kind of petering out. It was kind of killing itself. It got to be the same old pretty boy shit over and over again with not a lot of great songs. It had was, a formula to it, and you know was, this, okay? Well, it happens every, every band, time. Every band put out their album, okay? When they got signed, you put out your rock song, and then you went right to the ballad. So the record company said, well, wait a minute. The ballads are what's really pushing the units. So guys, you got to come at me with some more ballads. So that's why every album got sweeter, Yep. Every single one of those bands that were lucky enough to get a second or a third album, they got sweeter and sweeter, meaning they were trying to cash in on that ballad off the first album. Mm -hmm. The only band that really comes to mind, to be honest with you, because 18 in Life was the ballad, right? right. I, I, on on um, Skid Row. On Skid Row's debut album. I got to give it to those guys. They came back with an album that was heavier than the first one. Yeah. Slave to the Grind was heavy. Yep. And they didn't follow that formula. It may have hurt them. I mean, it, it didn't work that well either. You know, I mean, people were, wait, what's going on here? They wanted a thing and they wanted the prepackaged thing and they didn't get it. Um, I will always give Skid Row credit for coming out. They're the, they're the only band I can think of off the top of my head out of all of those bands that got signed, all of the hair metal stuff. They came back with a heavier album. And what's great about 18 and life is it's, it's a ballad, but it wasn't the cheesy. Oh, that girl's awesome. I love her ballad. -y thing. It was, right, it, was, right, it, was right. it was heavy, heavy fucking lyric shit. And you know, what's really cool about this is that Axel had already written November rain and they were going to put it on Appetite. And he said, I only want one ballad on that album. That ballad is going to be Sweet Child of Mine. Which isn't really a it's ballad. A, no, it runs. great. It's for, the for them, only love, lovey-dovey, mid-tempo, you know, correct. tune that's on there. You know, it's, the, it's, it's, it's such a great album. It's so unbelievable. Um, it's just, when is it... Give me another scenario where something was just sitting around for such a long time. There's so many comparisons that you can draw between Guns N' Roses and Nirvana, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that this album was out for a year, a solid year, it's just sitting in record bins and it sold 200,000 copies. That's great. But the magic number back then, everybody warrant, every single rock, every single hair metal band, you had to sell a half a million copies. Bullet Boys, you had to sell a half a million copies. And then you got that second album. Yep. These guys are selling 200,000 copies. They're a year in. They're like, maybe, do we record another album? What do we do? And then MTV, like you said, that was it. When I saw it, I couldn't believe it. It was just, it was so exciting. Um, it was different than everything else. It was out. It, it was that, you know, like they Nirvana. Tough, never though, man. They looked tough. They looked like a gang. You know, like Motley Crue even was getting sweet. Okay. Yeah, Motley they got Crue, pretty. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and, got pretty. Vince Neil got pretty. And, and these guys, they looked like a fucking gang. Yeah. 
Yeah, it looked like a biker gang that you sure shit didn't want to cross. And they had the booze and they had the hair. And you're like, what the fuck? Does that guy even have a face? Like when Slash first came out, you never saw his face. That's true. I'm like, does that dude even have a face? Holy shit. And it just resonated with everyone. You couldn't go to any parking lot. I was in high school and I would be blasting the shit out of that. My buddy used to pick me up every fucking day for school and the cassette would go in it in his Nova. And we drive a fucking, we don't hear the first two songs. Every single day we listened to that album on the way to school and on the way home. The one day it got, Janet started doing that whole. So he, he hits a jack and he pulls it and the fucking. You see the tape, all, the tape of Gaddy. And dude, we almost got in a wreck. We were so fucking freaked out. We ruined the cassette because, you know, cassette was what? 10, 12 bucks back then. Who's got that money? But yeah, we, he had to go buy a second copy. So I think just between the three of us, there's probably 14 copies. <laughs> That's why it sold so much, but that shows you the lasting power. And you know, now it's almost like I've worked for a classic rock radio station. I can't hear welcome to the jungle again, man. I go to a sporting event, you know, and it comes on people are like, yeah, fuck, kill them. I, it, it's wallpaper to me. Cause I play the shit every day. It's like when I, like we talked about it last week, you got a song that you love, but you just can't hear it anymore. Cause you, it's just there. It's wallpaper. You got to go back and re-listen to it. I have to take myself out of my job and go and just think about it differently and go listen to it, like really focus. Because otherwise, it doesn't mean anything anymore, you know? I still, because uh, I play that vinyl that I was showing on the YouTube and I, the needle dropping on, the needle dropping on Welcome to the Jungle is just oh. still, it's still a moment for me. It so really great. is. Um, yeah, one of my all-time favorite bands it's the biggest selling debut album of all time, I believe still, which is insane that that's holding up. I can't believe some Pop-Tart hasn't beaten that, but maybe it's the rock category. I don't know for sure. Right. And there's a, there's, what song is it that Axel's banging a chick? You know, Axel's banging a chick on one of those songs. Oh, I know there's oh. a girl, there's a girl in there, go, you know, moaning and groaning. Yeah. Is it Welcome to the Jungle? Night train. No, it's not. I, but see, when you think about this, okay, we were talking about the record label. We're talking about Geffen Records, right? That, that was one of the more powerful uh, labels back in the day. Think about what goes into recording in an album. There's a lot of work that goes into it. You fight over lyrics, you fight over sounds, you fight over drum sounds, guitar sounds, everything. In Paradise City, Slash wanted the chorus to go, Take me down to Paradise City where the girls are fat and they got big titties. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he wanted for the lyric. He hated the grass is green line, but the band overruled him to make the song more radio friendly. Take me down to Paradise City where the girls are fat and they got big titties. <laughs> that was supposed to be the line. Axel Rose is having sex with a woman in the studio. He clears everybody out. Boom. They hit record. He is banging a chick, and they use it in Rocket Queen. Rocket if Queen. Listen, yeah, if yeah. you listen, care, and it had, I knew it had to be Rocket Queen because the whole thing's about you know your daddy works in porn. Um, I, I, it may have been an ex of Stephen Adler's, and that may have caused some problems back in the day. Yeah, but man. yeah, Axel's having. You could not do that. There's real live recorded sex in the background of one of the songs on Appetite for Destruction, the last song. It's okay? awesome. It's awesome. How great is that? It's the greatest. Can I say that? Is it's it great. not great? I'm sure she consented. I'm sure she's happy about it. 
you're just, not doing it today. Okay. You're no. not going to walk into the studio and do that. No, but there's, there's stories of like Jim Morrison getting a Hummer and he's recording vocals on one of the songs, but you're not hearing the chick. You're not hearing her, you know, actually like, crank up those mics, boys. This is going to be good. We're going to put it in a song. <laughs> Everybody out, boom, hit record. And then boom, let me do my thing. So there's uh, that. I hope somebody heard something new about this amazing album uh, in this 20 minute rant about what is one of the great albums of all time. I mean, still to this day, what's amazing. My final thought on this would be in a year's time, because we all know that Axel was fumble fucking around forever and he was working on that Chinese democracy, right? Yeah. Slash is off doing his own thing and everybody's doing their own thing. I go to see Guns N' Roses at the House of Blues with, you know, Bumblefoot is on guitar and Tommy Stinson from The Replacements is the bass player. He was the, he was the bass player forever for a long time. Right. Um, House of Blues, dude. I go see Guns N' Roses at the House of Blues, which ours is pretty big here. It's, I think it's maybe you can jam 15, 1600 people in there. That's good. Inside of a year, Houston, Texas, Slash and Duff get back together. They're playing the football stadium and they sold it out. Yep. A bass player and a guitar player. Give me another band. Give me another band, a current band. That you add a guitar player and a bass player and you go from 1,500 people at the House of Blues, sold out show, congratulations, Axel and Bumblefoot, to selling out NRG Stadium. Yeah. It was a year removed. That's insane. That is insane is but right. People to see Slash on stage with him was great. I was there. It was amazing. It was amazing. We, we saw him. They played. I went and saw him at the Dome that, that same year because they went probably Houston right to New Orleans. Yeah, saw him at the Superdome, which was amazing. I was first time I saw Guns N' Roses with was with, with uh, Slash, and then they played Voodoo here in New Orleans the fall before it was must have been 2019, and it was so powerful. You're outside, and it was like two hours. And it fucking rained all day, and it was one of those weird rock cliche perfect moments where it just started like mist misting and like lightly raining, and they fucking crank right into the November rain. It's like the music video happened right in front of my face. Mm -hmm. And it was so great. But do I want to see fucking Axel up there with a bunch of dudes? I don't know. Mm, nah, I probably wouldn't care. I, and he did a lot of Chinese democracy stuff, you know? Like he... Yeah, he I didn't mind. That. I didn't mind. I like. I think they did like one or two Chinese democracy songs on the last yeah, run. And I didn't mind. They weren't, they weren't bad songs, you know? It's, it's weird like, that he forces Slash to play that stuff weird it is weird but then slash doesn't slash get to do like something that he wants to do and duff comes out and sings the song i think they work it out pretty well yeah and they know that the bank rolls are fat um let's take a quick break dude if you got anything else on gnr it's just you know what it's it just i remember and maybe this is part of the allure of it you got to think about it mtv was really hot in 87 you know and this yeah. look this looked different it, it took that pretty boy shit and shoved it right in there, everyone's ass and then these guys were that, you know, rock and roll always started out being something that your parents hated, whether you were the baby boomers or whatever, you know, the Beatles, you know, the, you know, my parents 
my grandmother didn't like the fact that my mom liked the Beatles. And the you Beatles know, that, had long hair. That I mean, trickles <laughs> down road. That just keeps falling generation after generation after generation after generation. And these guys were dirty. They were scumbags. They were, they were dangerous looking. They didn't give a shit. And uh, parents hated it. So that just made young people love that shit even more. And it was everywhere. Chicks liked it. And that's what made it great. Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, the best-selling debut album ever. And if you're 33 uh, years old, guess what your mom and dad were doing? <laughs> Banging to Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, you hey, the right. Woods, the Woodstock documentary. Um, not 1969. No, not the one after that. The one that I attended in 1999, the third attempt at a Woodstock, the one that some people say the day that Rock died. Um <laughs> There's a documentary coming out this week. Um, I want to talk a little bit about it. It's going to morph us into our top five concert list. We got a list. Oh we got a list. God. And we're going to get into it. I was talking to my brother-in-law. He listens to these podcasts. And he just did a big old drive across country. And Rod, he was coming through Texas. And he was listening to the podcast. And it was like three in the morning and he was just humming through the I-10. And he's like, I got to go to Lucky's Pub West. I've got to try those damn Philly <laughs> cheesesteak egg rolls. Dude, he, but it was like three in the morning. He's like, well, I ain't stopping now. I'm waiting for him to open. So he just kept going. But he, he was so hell-bent on stopping on his road trip. But he says next time he's going to be there, Lucky's Pub West, I-10 at Barker Cypress. Uh, about 100 ice-cold beers to choose from. Dude, you serious? A hundred? Holy crap. That's awesome. Yeah, people That's are into awesome. beer, man. People yeah, are into weird beers. hundred ice cold beers to choose from. Amazing food. The best pizza on the best side. Those wings. Oh, they look so damn good. Burgers. And they got those famous Philly cheesesteak egg rolls. Astros baseball. They have not been losing. They've been winning, kicking everybody's ass lately, too, man. You've got to get there. Checked out the Astros on over 40 TVs. Ice cold beer at a fair price. I don't really need to say anything else, man. That says it all right there. Lucky's Pub West, I-10 at Barker Cypress. We got the links on the page wherever you download this crazy thing. And on YouTube, Lucky's Pub. Dude, and I know I keep saying it. I keep saying it, but I'm coming. I'm coming in, man. We're going to do this shit live from uh, Lucky's at some point. We got I just got to sit down. You know what? I'll look at a calendar next week. I'll figure something okay. out. All right. All right. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down right now. And while you're writing it down this week, uh, new documentary uh, comes out. Uh, you know, I'm of a certain age now where all I do is sit around and watch documentaries. That's cool. uh, this one, I've got a pretty good, healthy interest in because it deals with Woodstock 99. Uh, Woodstock 99, word association, first thing that pops in your head, what? I think that was the one that was a shit show, right? Wasn't there like uh, <laughs> fires and Limp Biscuit and rapes and horrible things? Shit show about sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. You and I were working in Buffalo when Woodstock 94 happened. That's the first one since the, the old folks, okay? 1969, I think everybody knows, uh, was the first Woodstock. And then 94, they did a 25-year anniversary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was That was a good one. And we were working and I remember the weekend and I remember a guy that we worked with, Jerry, the prize fairy found out that they broke down the gates and heard it was a free show. Ugh. And I remember him asking me, 
telling me that he was going to go. And I think I had a weekend shift. You probably were doing a weekend shift. He had stuff that he had to cover too. He had remotes that he had to do. And he left the station high and dry. He almost got fired, but he went. Jesus. I'm never pick up and fucking go guy. And I, I resented it. I was so mad at myself for not going to Woodstock 94. The thing that comes to mind, if you were to ask me, Woodstock 94, well, what do you got? Well, MTV broadcast live. Sure. I watched it all weekend long. And the mud people. Okay, if you remember Green Day and Green Day really became Green Day and Nine Inch Nails became Nine Inch Nails there. Okay, that was their coming out party. Nine Inch Nails up there. Everybody's covered in mud. The sod, they were ripping it up and it was mud. And I was so mad at myself that I didn't go. A couple years down the road, 99 rolls around. We hear, hey, they're going to do a Woodstock. They're going to do a Woodstock. I'm living in Albany, New York which is not far uh, from the original site and the city of Woodstock. Woodstock is an actual town. So they do this on this Air Force base, and I am the program director. I talk my GM into broadcasting live from Woodstock. It's a good call. That's, that makes good radio, Ron. That's a good, you did a good job right there. As a program director, I give you a star for that one. That's good. So load up the guys, grab the team, Get some, you know, Joey's RV to loan us what looked like it looked like it was cool in the gang's RV from 1977. I'm not lying. It was a Winnebago. Shitter's and it full. had it had shag carpeting and it did look like cousin Eddie's Winnebago that was parked in uh Griswold's driveway. The That's shitter's awesome. full. It looked a lot like that. That's what we drove. And uh, we went there for the weekend. We broadcast live a little bit. And we went to party. We went to go and party. I was in charge. I said, we're going to party. We're going to do a little. We got to do whatever you have to do to broadcast, but we're going to party. Why you go? That's why you have a Winnebago. I'm watching the trailer. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for 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 it yet. And Moby kind of caught me off a little bit. I went to go see Moby. Moby and Fatboy Slim did a rave. That was kind of a 99 thing. Yeah. And uh, Moby in the trailer is saying, yeah, there was just a vibe. There was just kind of a getting off the bus vibe that you just kind of knew. I don't know what they were talking about backstage. And maybe they had privileged information, which you do when you're backstage. But I was out there amongst the people. And, you know, it was uncomfortable. It was super hot. The $4 water, don't go to a fucking festival with no money in your pocket. I didn't, I didn't understand it back then. I am Gen X. That was my show. Yeah. I had money in my pocket. I don't go to places thinking that there's just going to be anything free. So I never agreed with the kids and the sound bites, you know, profit stock and everything else. Right. There were right, long right. lines. There wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough bathrooms. It got wild. It got wild. I left before the fight, the raging fires, the raging fires were Sunday night. It was a three day festival. It was July 22nd through the 25th, 1999. My biggest memory of it is Saturday night. And that's when it got crazy. Yep. People will talk about Limp Bizkit a lot. And I think they're going to probably cover this a lot. And and I haven't seen the documentary yet. I'm just going to go on record as, as not seeing anything yet. Limp Biscuit got paid to be Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Think about that. If they have a song called Break Shit, they're going to play it. 
Loud. That was a, that's a song. <laughs> so they're not telling, it's not telling kids what to do, but Limp Biscuit got paid to be Limp Biscuit. Rage Against the Machine got paid to be Rage and Metallica got paid to be and do what they do. Maybe the problem was putting those three bands back to back to back. Jason, that's where it got crazy. Yeah. It, it, that was the order of bands. You got to be was careful. My, that was my first time seeing Rage Against the Machine. Oof. Holy shit. I mean, you know, lighting a flag on fire, upside down, all, the whole thing, you know, but and in Metallica, it, it was just too much testosterone. It was just, there was no, what are you going to do to release, you know? Now, did I see, you know, did, did I see women getting taken advantage of and things like that? I didn't. I, I didn't see it with my own eyes, but right, I just right. saw dudes just being bros and just no shirt, no shoes, and just stomping, stomping. Didn't know what to do. I mean, you're a young guy and you just go, you go through those three bands. They didn't sleep that night. As I'm no. walking back to the, I stayed for all three of them, stayed for the end of Metallica. As I'm walking back to the campsite, there's Lord of the Flies. There are some fires now going. Right. And there's garbage everywhere. So every garbage can's been tipped over. There's already backed up sewage everywhere. It's already uh, muddy. It's already nasty and it's dirty. But there's the, the there's a big, huge, uh, like a garbage on fire. And they're kind of dancing around it. And then they started beating on the garbage cans. They turned them over for drums. And you heard, okay. So as I'm walking, it's getting louder and louder, and I'm walking past this tribal, this angry tribe. Well, believe it or not, when we got back, I went to sleep. And I woke up on Sunday morning ready for day number three. They never left. They were still out there, dude. I'm like, that's when I thought, okay, nobody slept it off. That's I good. really thought everybody was going to be a good boy like me and just kind of sleep it off. I think they were out of alcohol at that point. There just, there wasn't much, there wasn't much food. We were down to our last box of Triscuits, that type of deal. Oh, um, they didn't sleep it off, Jason. That's so not good. All of that rage from Saturday night, they just continued up all night. And then Sunday, Sunday didn't feel good. Sunday didn't feel right at all. You got the hangovers, man. And everyone's fucking jacked. It's hot. You've been out there. Oh, you got to look at this as a snowball effect, right? You start with that little tiny snowball at the top of the hill and it just keeps rolling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You've got in, in Gen X's mind at the time in 1999, you've got 1969. Mom and dad talked about they knew someone who was there because, of course, everybody was there, right? Mm -hmm. And you've, you've lived with that. And then you heard how great in 99, you knew how great 94 was, right? You, you just saw the green day. And you saw the mud flowing and you saw the cool shit. It, that was a great one, right? 99, you're bringing all these expectations with you. And then if you're a dumbass, you don't bring money, you can't buy water. Well, that's on you. If the, if the facilities aren't up to standards, which nowadays, that's just got to be right. So we've, we've come a long way. Uh -huh. you're, just, you're just planting seeds along the way. And then um, I don't know what happened Friday night, but Kid Rock can get a little bit of the ball going because he played in between the Tragically Hip and yep. Wyclef Jean. 
And he said, he was pissed because he kept hearing about the water bottle situation. So he told all the people in the audience to throw the empty water bottles at the stage. Now that just sets the tone for every artist after you. So Kid Rock's a bit of a dick there. It was a big way. It was an absolute sight to behold. So like I said, Green Day became Green Day five years earlier, mm -hmm. even though they had been around, but that was Green Day's coming out party and Nine Inch Nails too. Yep. Kid Rock was the breakout. Holy shit, this guy's for real. That was the first time we, you know, because we had already done shows with him, right. even going back to when I was in New Orleans, you know, he played the House of Blues. He opened up for Monster Magnet, right? you know, right. and he, like you said, he goes, all right, I want all you guys. I don't want you throwing anything else up here, but I want to see those empty water bottles. He was very clear about it. And I remember this. I had a pretty good head about myself. It was early and it was middle midday, you know, and right. I was there to see the hip. Yeah. You know, so I, I didn't leave. And it was such a sight. I remember every second of it. I remember him standing there and he couldn't believe the stuff that was coming up on stage. For the most part, it seemed like people were pretty cool about, you know, doing the empty water bottle thing. But even he was overwhelmed. And the the stage crew had to hate him for that. The cleanup yeah. had to be absolutely ridiculous. But you know, think about that's him walking around playing all the instruments. If everybody's probably seen Kid Rock 10 times by now, but right. he walks around and he does all the, he did all of that. And Joe C was there, the little guy, remember right. him? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> that, was, that was Kid Rock's like coming out. The number that, the number I'll, I'll leave you with is, as they look back now with all the people there and you can assess everything, the number that sticks out to me is there was one toilet for every 833 people. That's not going to work, man. That's going to cause people to get pissed <laughs> off. Is, uh, That's what? impossible. We can't do that. One toilet for every 833 people. Dude, I can't wait in line that long. Sorry, can't do it. I'm hour, pissing to wait, hour to wait in line, and then you just get back in line, right? I mean, you're going to have to piss again. So then people just started pissing all over the place. Nobody mm. wanted to, Nobody wanted to leave their spot. So it was, it was a disgusting filth. I had to, I had to get it out of my head because you know, I tried to go to the camp area and try to like, you know, I'm just standing in mud, which I didn't, I knew in my heart of hearts was not just all mud. No the smell and everything. There was raw sewage everywhere. Yeah. That's uh, not going to be good. It was a pretty crazy thing. I can't wait for this documentary. I absolutely cannot wait. Um, does it define our generation? There's going to be people that are going to try to put all those kind of labels on it. And the people that think that they knew something was going to happen, I'm calling their shit right now. No. I kind of am. I mean, it was it, nobody thought it was going to be peace, love, and happiness. You know, it was ink tattooed and ready to rock. I think that was our, that was our war cry going into it. And, um, but you got the bros, the bros, man. You, you're always going to have these people who are there to fucking crush skulls. And you add, this is just a compound effect. It's a snowball effect, like I talk about. I mean, people were there. Dave Matthews had everybody going nuts. Show your titties, show your titties. You know, people were shouting down the tragically hip. Go back to Canada, fuckers. I mean, it was brutal throughout the day. It just, these little things start to add. And then you got your weird drummer buddies out there all night, not fucking sleeping. You know, what the fuck is that? I mean, 
you got, I think if you watch a documentary, you're going to see where it's just this cumulative effect and it just kept building. And then you put Limp Biscuit, Rage, and Metallica <laughs> back to back to back. What'd you think was going to happen? Then you got no sleep, no food, sunburn. People are pissed. Chicks must have been running for their lives by this point. It I mean, I, and it's a shame because it, but it does not define Gen X. That defines the meat headed. <laughs> portion of gen x and not everybody there was a meathead either you know but it is, it's a it's a huge shit stain on our generation it, it really is and more people i'm just curious because you know documentaries they're even though like a, a documentary this is what i always say about like these rock movies that come out right now bring up queen i loved i loved bohemian rhapsody i thought it was a yeah. great movie it's not a documentary, guys. Mm -hmm. There's there's stuff that's out of order. There's stuff that was convenient for for the movie to make it a better movie. You know, does right. my mom care? My mom loves Queen. She loves that movie. He won Best Actor. They weren't broken up before Live Aid. It just it, they made things convenient for the movie. A documentary. You're thinking, okay, let's let's really get some facts now. But if people like Michael Moore or anyone else taught us anything, documentaries can still be very very slanted. What's going to be the take on this? What's my takeaway? Because I don't want him just shitting on this thing for two hours. Is there going to be anything that was good that came from this? Is there going to be anything like, hey, we tried or, I, you know, my experience there. More shitters. You know, I, <laughs> Hopefully. I I'm just, I, I'm, you know that there's slants with making these things. As there should but, be. You, it's your voice. Your but are you going into it to slam the whole thing? I mean, you saw Fire Festival. You saw that documentary. I saw both of them, you know, and it, that's our Fire Festival. You know, that's what we're known for. I don't know. I think it's only it, it's only going to become more if this documentary is popular and a lot of people watch it. Then it's really going to be thought of as, you know, hey, this is Gen X. This is this is the people that we're dealing with in this in this generation. Yeah, and, and hopefully that doesn't work out that way. I mean, what they're going to find out, if they do it right, is that and, – and look at it now. I mean, you go to a festival, and there's, there's bathrooms. There's never enough. There's never going to be enough. You have to wait in line. Right. But they got way more bathrooms. They're sure shit got way more water now. I mean, I think you – at this point, when these festivals get put on, they're pretty well done. I've gone to thousands of festivals over the years, and they just get better every year because they figure shit out as they go along. And you can't have – nobody wants – Woodstock 99 happened in their backyard now. The lawsuits and the bullshit that you would have to deal with. Holy sure. fuck, man. I mean, so oh. Woodstock 99 for me, uh, it was amazing. You know, it was an amazing thing to be at. I'm so glad I was a part of history. Yeah. Um, in my top five concerts of all time, but not my number one. So I asked Jason this week today <laughs> 10 minutes 10 minutes ago hey by the way i said you know we're going to talk about woodstock i want to talk about a little bit about this and we will link to the to the trailer and all the information we'll link to the information on all of our social um where you can see the the documentary but i tasked jason with top five concerts that you've attended not this was a really difficult list i we i said you know same record that's still broken. This was tough, man. Yeah, for, you were. for me, it was tough. And I know you've seen a million concerts too. Yeah. But were there five that shine? Was it easy? Because what I do is I don't put them in order. I just write them on a piece of paper. Then I start putting them in order and scratching. And that makes me mad at myself. 
Rod, I drink a lot and I drink a lot at concerts. So, you know, I mean, they all seem great. <laughs> That's the problem with this one. But I ran downstairs and I was talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, we're doing top five concerts. And she starts going this and this and this. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So I'm not going to do a good job here probably. But I have had some amazing situations creep up out of the blue. And I've been to some great shows. Can I ask um, you a question before you give me your list? Yeah, man. One, two, three, four. How five, many six. in your top five are Jazz Fest appearances? You know, I, I tried to leave it out because it would have been all of them. Because <laughs> Jazz I mean, Fest, but you, I'm blown you, away every time, man. There's always right. a band that I've, I saw The Who. Holy shit, I never saw The Who before. So it was fucking great and they were great. I don't love The Who that much, so I don't put it in my top five. Is it worthy? Totally. You know, how many bands have we stood next to each other watching going, holy fuck, this is amazing at Jazz yeah. Fest. I mean, we saw Tom Petty together. Remember that his, day? One of his last shows. We were hanging out drinking beers because it was pouring cats and dogs. And you outside. know, by the way, by the way, we, we said we saw one of his last shows. You don't know it's one of his last shows while you're doing it. You know, he right. dies shortly afterwards. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm so glad I was there. Right. You're not thinking that, you know, this guy's going to die soon. You're you not know, Tom Petty, but you're no. taking it in. No, Tom Petty, you thought he had another 15 years, 20 years. But it added a lot of, of, of uh, more punch to the show because we were sitting around drinking going, fuck, it's raining. They, they didn't open the concert venue up yet. You know, the big festival. We weren't going to go that day. We were like... Going and it was the old, you want to go, dude? It's going to be muddy. It's going to suck. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. Tom Petty, I saw him a couple of years ago and he was great. And then it just was that conversation. We're all kind of going back and forth like that. My wife goes, fuck you guys. <laughs> I'm putting on my boots. Let's go. And I go, you know what? You got a point. And next thing you know, we're all out there. And there was hardly anybody out there. And the mud wasn't so bad. And he was loose, man. It was great. He was so relaxed. Yeah. It just, he was having fun. He didn't give a shit that there weren't a ton of people there like he was supposed to have. And we had so much fun that day, man. So that, I mean, there's still, when the number, people that have never been to Jazz Fest before. So Tom Petty probably would have played to maybe 110,000 people, you Somewhere know, in that, if, yeah. if, if it was packed and he still played to, and when Jason says there wasn't a ton of people there, there was still 65,000 people there. Oh yeah. So, there's still yes, a ton I of want, people. Yeah. I want people that, that right. have never been, it, it was yeah. still 65,000 of us are watching right. him, but we didn't have to share him with 120. So half we had room, we had room and we actually were closer to the stage, which we never do, yes. you know, and it was great. So that, that is, that could have easily made it into one of my top five. It doesn't, okay. it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. And I'm excited then. So you have nothing from jazz fest in your uh, top five concerts. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. No, I don't. Wow, it's crazy. I could easily. I know, me too. I could it's easily like a thousand times over, and, and and I probably should. The Houston audience gets sick of me hearing about, oh, Rod loves Jazz Fest. I love Jazz Fest. It's my favorite thing, man. 20-some years we've been going. It's great. Um, okay. This, one, this Go one's going to be fun. I, you're going to like this one. You're going to be like, oh, yeah. One of my favorite concert events ever in my life. But because of what I do for a living, that's what makes it even cooler because I'm in radio and I'm just, we're both getting started. We did Edge Fest in Buffalo, I believe it was 1995. It was on the beach on Lake Ontario or Lake Erie. And it was 10,000 Maniacs, the Goo Goo Dolls, the Tea Party. And then we had a second stage with a bunch of local bands and all of our favorite local bands were playing. The Toadies played that bill. The Toadies played as well. And we're on the beach and we're introducing bands. It was like one of the first times we really got to be 
that guy on stage. Yeah, like we got to be in front of a large group of people like, hey, we're the guys on the radio now. Yeah, so we're broadcasting. I remember actually one of the bands I got to introduce were a bunch of dudes I went to high school with. And I had seen them since I graduated. So this is four or five years later. And I got to fucking introduce these guys on stage. And I was like, this is fucking as cool as it gets, man. You know, <laughs> now those guys never wanted to do anything. They all went on to be doctors and lawyers or whatever shit like that. But that was a great show. It was a great concert. It was just a great moment in my career. So that one definitely is, um, is up there at number five. Pearl Jam played Voodoo Fest. Uh, I don't know the year because I didn't fucking look that up and he didn't give me a whole lot of time. So Pearl Jam played Voodoo and this was, I'm a Pearl Jam fan. I like Pearl Jam. I don't love Pearl Jam. I'm not going to travel to go see him play somewhere. I, okay. I, I, I can feel that. I'm, I'm, I like Pearl Jam. I've got their albums. I got their music. I dig a lot of their songs. But I'm like, Pearl Jam's playing. I had never seen them. And what's interesting is this is the year that they played Voodoo and the weather was fucking perfect. And I didn't know until afterwards. So they go through two and a half hours. Eddie Vedder's out there drinking wine. And they had like these cool, like giant lights that were like balls hanging from ropes. <laughs> and at one point, the, the, the thing is, the stage is fucking just wild. It's loud as shit. And Eddie Vedder's just running and swinging all over the place on these ropes, right? And I'm like, they literally played every Pearl Jam song I love in this set. I was like, this is unbelievable. How do they play every song I love? We'll come to find out afterwards. Steve Gleason, who used to play for the New Orleans Saints, he was like a special teamer, right? Well, he grew up in the Northwest and he's friends with Pearl Jam. Now, since then he's contracted ALS and he's wheelchair chair bound. He made the set list for that night. He made the set list for Pearl Jam because Stone Gossard and him are friends. And the story goes that Pearl Jam will never do even flowing alive on the same night. They're just kind of fucking sick of singing those songs, right? They did them both. I know. I, you know what, dude? You wrote the songs, play the songs. That's what people want to hear. But they don't do it for whatever reason. And so they played them both that night, which is a real, really rare situation. So that adds to the weight of how cool that show was once I found out afterwards. Is that the same show that they closed with Yellow Ledbetter and Mike McCready just posts up right in front of his wheelchair? They bring him out at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike, so they bring out so. Steve Gleason and McCready is, you know, yes. looking at the stage on the left-hand side. He posts up right in front of the wheelchair. And if you know the song Yellow Ledbetter, you know, that bluesy guitar, and he just fucking wails it and he's playing it for one person. And he's playing it in front of Gleason. It's amazing. So it's an amazing show. moment. Is that yeah. um is that on is it, like has that show been put out on DVD or is it I'm have sure they ever packaged so. that up? I wish they would because it was a great fucking show. Man. I mean, they yeah. did everything. It was so somehow great. I saw I didn't I I don't think I went to that show, but I know that story I just told. So over the news. I saw it online somewhere. Um, that was number four. Number three, I actually did the full-blown old-school situation, and I camped out for tickets. Uh, and I oh, never, man. I never got to see Van Halen with Roth, and I was, and I was a Sammy fan, so I was into it. So I camped out for fucking Van Halen tickets, and I saw Sammy Hagar in the early '90s at the Odd in Buffalo, and I was like, <laughs> fucking, I was really close to Eddie's side of the stage. You gotta be on Eddie's side of the stage. You know what I mean? You want to be center or on Eddie's side. 
and I was right there, watched the show, and it was just fucking great. But the, it's the camping out that really made that experience special. You know, it was just camping out, my brother and I and some buddies, and it was just fucking cool. It's kind of going to be lost on some people. So you couldn't just, you know, go online and buy tickets. And that's a good point. Yeah. And if you were and my mom, I don't think she, I really don't think she had a credit card. There were a couple of parents that were cool enough to let their kids put tickets on a credit card over the phone. Um, I didn't come from parents that were cool like that. No. So, we had to go and get tickets when they you went wait, on sale wait. and wait in line. And one of the things that we did, and if if the tickets went on sale six months before the summer show, well, guess what? Your ass was out there in the cold and you were freezing your ass off. Yeah. All night waiting for tickets. And it was cool. It was fucking cool, man. That was a man, great you show. Partied. You partied. It was like tailgating. You're drinking beers. Uh, you're hanging out. New Orleans, New Orleans people, it would be like being on the neutral ground all night. You know, you're waiting for the parades and you got yep. your spot. You bring a blanket. You bring, you know, beers and chairs and you tailgate. football and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah sleeping out for concert tickets was an amazing thing. Yeah, never doing it again, by the way. Never going to fucking happen. Because <laughs> I feel like the only time I ever remember sleeping out, I don't remember sweating. Anytime I slept out for tickets, I, oh, I guess I was I was like a millimeter away from frostbite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dying, man. Um, I got to see, and I don't remember the year, of course, because I'm stupid, but it was probably like 94, 95. I think it, we were part-time at the Fox. No. I don't know. Who gives a shit? It was The Edge. Anyway, Metallica played Darien Lake, which is a... a like an outdoor amphitheater um, at uh, outside of Buffalo. And it was Metallica. And I had my, I had my black van. We, we talked about vans, I think, in one of our first episodes. Go back and listen to that one. Talk, you can hear us talk about our shitty vans. I had my van, loaded it with cases of fucking beer, drank beers all night, had good seats. We had good seats because we were working for the radio station. So I, my brother and I were at the show. And I must have been doing, and I remember this very well because it was so fucking cool. I had seats, okay, not far from this. I was probably like 30 rows back from Metallica. And Metallica starts, we're still in the parking lot drinking beers. So we go running in, my brother and I. He just graduated from basic training in the Marine Corps. So he was fucking ripped and badass, right? We're humming. I go, fuck, where are our seats? The crowd, and it was just the folding chairs. Remember the old school when you go to a show and they just had folding chairs everywhere? They yes. were just shoved everywhere. There's no way to know what row you're in. There's no way, nothing. <laughs> I run into one of the guys who was a bouncer at one of the bars that I was working at for the radio station. He goes, Ginty, what the fuck are you going? I go, here's my ticket. Where am I going? He goes, are you fucking kidding me? Come with me. Come with me. I go, what? He goes, follow me. He goes, who's this guy? I go, that's my brother. He goes, nice to meet you. Let's go. He fucking walked my bony 145 pound ass through the crowd and threw me and my brother into the fucking pit. Literally, I think at least once or twice, James Hetfield spit on me. Yeah. I'm, dude, I was in the fucking pit. Yeah. Fucking Metallica, man. Dude, I couldn't walk for three days. My brother literally had to drag me out of there a few different times and save my ass. It was fucking great. I would never do that again. What's interesting is, and I know this of you, like Jason's not like a huge Metallica fan. Likes no. the band, met the guys. He's going to tell you about him and Lars drinking coffee in the back. Yeah, Shut up. great. Shut Eddie. up. Put his hand on your leather jacket. No, that's Eddie Van Halen. Let's get these stories so, straight. But you're telling me, and I know that you like the band. I know you don't love them. Mm. Your number two concert is Metallica because of the experience. And now I've seen them afterwards. I'm like, fuck, these guys are boring. 
<laughs> I'm not really into them now, but I was in the pit. I was probably what, 24, 23, fucking wasted and just getting thrown around like a little bitch ragdoll, dude. And it was awesome. It was just, it was my only time ever in a pit. And it was just like, we were talking about Woodstock 99 a minute ago. I would have been banging those fucking drums all night, dude. I'd have been, that'd have been me. That'd have been me. It'd be fucking like diving into the Jumanji pit. Um, what was that? Is that number two? I think it was number two. Fuck, I don't know. Who cares? Uh, I got to see Foo Fighters at the House of Blues during the Sonic Highways album. They showed the New Orleans episode on a big screen in the House of Blues. And in New Orleans, that's about 875 people, 900 people. They showed the episode. Sonic Highways was that documentary they made for the album. They went to Chicago and Seattle, and they put the, album, the song together in that city. And they recorded at Preservation Hall uh, in the French Quarter. So we'd heard all about that. So fucking the great episode. You want to learn about New Orleans? Watch the Sonic Highways New Orleans episode. Play. I love that whole documentary series. It's, Fuck, it's so, so good. damn good. The song so they did for each city. The song they did for New Orleans is great. Oh my god, it's so great. congregation. You no, know, they did uh, in the clear, in the clear oh. for uh, New Orleans. They had the brass congregation. Congregation was. Uh, I don't know. I have to look at that one. Go ahead. So, and then fucking the show, the, the episode ends, the credits roll, and then boom, here comes fucking Foo Fighters for a three-hour show, and they were jacked up because they're playing a small club. I'm standing there looking at Dave Grohl all night. He gets off the stage with his guitar, and he's running around the fucking crowd. He bumps into me, shoves me out of the way with his guitar neck, and then he comes by again. I fucking high-five him. Then he's up on the balcony shoving, blowing champagne everywhere. Dude, it was one of those great, great moments. Uh, to see Foo Fighters that great. And of course, they were great at Jazz Fest years ago. So I had to kind of weigh those together. And the Jazz Fest performance was fucking great, too. And number one, I think that's six. I don't know. Who cares? My fucking list. Uh, Rage Against the Machine at Voodoo. You were there. We ended up bending the fucking bleachers. We were jumping so much. It was so yeah. fucking loud. They were hearing it like two cities over. <laughs> and then that night, we ended up hanging out. Not hanging out. Stalking. Tom Morello, which I think you told that story in a different episode, I believe. We saw him at the dungeon, though. And then we tried to get pictures, and it took us fucking like three hours to get the pictures. Town. It was a fucking. But we do have a picture though with Tom Morello that night. Yeah, us and two two chicks that yeah. we don't know. Only time. It's not the only time I ran into Tom Morello at the dungeon in New Orleans either. But that was a show. Um, so there's my top I six. Just, I think you just did a top ten. Okay. Okay. If you're gonna be. Fucking throwing around. You can six. throw extras in if you want. It's our fucking show, dude. Who cares? Okay, then I have a tie at number five. Nice. See, that's a good way to get it in. That's a good. I have a tie at number five. <laughs> it works. It I works. Was, I was going to bring out this coin and flip, but now I'm giving you both shows. So my tie for number five, uh, I, I'll, I'll play off of your Foo Fighters. So yeah, Foo Fighters. Which Foo Fighters show, though, man? Like, what's no. it going to be? Which one? Now? You had to go. That was a very, very special screening and everything that you got to do so super jealous of that i did not go to that one i saw foo fighters in small clubs early on but fourth of july it was in washington dc 2015 his Holy hometown shit. he sells out rfk stadium and he's in the throne he oh, that's, shit. The, the, that's the first time that's the first time we see him in this throne and the, the, one of the really, really big moments, because we just thought he was just going to be sitting there, right? He's, if you guys remember when Dave Grohl snapped his leg, he was, he had a throne built like Game of Thrones, but it was all guitar necks behind him. Brilliant. And, and he had to keep his leg propped up and he sat on this throne and he was jamming, right? 
he didn't move it for about four or five songs. I feel like maybe four songs. There was no movement and just, it's great. You're seeing him do it and he's got so much excitement and, and he's playing, this is his hometown. He was born and raised in the DC area. Right. So he couldn't believe it was a moment. He wanted, he've always dreamed of playing 4th of July, DC. Those two things are together. And then, oh my God, I'm selling out the stadium where I grew up. <laughs> Christ, that's awesome. Fourth song in. The fucking throne moves forward and the place goes bananas, dude. That thing moves? What? <laughs> Holy real. shit. I'm like, what's next? It's going to take off like the Willy Wonka Vader and it's going to go up into the sky? We didn't know. <laughs> All it did was move forward and it, it was Beatlesque, the loudness of people shrilling and screaming. Wow. It was awesome. It was so great. Uh, that's tied with... Uh, my wife, thank you, got Captain Cash and me tickets, ACDC, Gillette Stadium, Foxborough, Massachusetts, Holy same shit. year, I'm, I'm about 15 rows back in a stadium, and I'm watching ACDC on stage, That's and it was a beautiful, you know, think about this, though, think about concerts, you said one of those concerts, you know, it was the sleeping out, and it was the whole thing about the concert, yep. so me, of course, ACDC is one of my all-time favorite bands, but I'm outside. You know, I, I made a trip. We, you know, Boston's a great place. Yeah, it's a great city. I fucking hate all their sports teams. I'm jealous. But I'm in the stadium and it's a perfect night and it's outdoors and it's open air and ACDC's playing. It was, oh my God. And ACDC sounds great, man. I don't Always know great. how his voice, I don't know how he does it, but he sounds great. And they're going to be going out on tour, I think, one more time. So don't miss ACDC. Don't think that you're going to get ripped off. I'll say this. The last couple of times they've come, they you never felt ripped off. I didn't see them in the 80s. No. Uh, in the early 80s, I didn't see them. I did see them in the late 80s. All right, tied for number five. Number four. Number four. I don't know if you went with me to this show or not. Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral. In the odd. No. 19, 1994. Mm -hmm. It's November, Marilyn Manson. Nobody knew who he was, really. He was just this uh, dangerous, crazy guy. He opened up, but Nine Inch Nails was so angry. Trent was so nasty, so mean. Yes. There were keyboards all over the stage, and he could just pull out a keyboard and start pounding on it, and then when he was done, he threw it. Yeah. He's playing the, he's playing the guitar, and everybody is just coated in, like, baby powder or something. They all look like monsters. He pulls his guitar string. He tripped up his guitar player. It was chaos. Awesome. It was the most chaos I've ever seen on a stage before. Wow. And of any band. It was so great. I could have put two other Nine Inch Nails shows on this, but Nine Inch Nails, it was the self-destruct tour, and they were just the angriest thing I'd ever seen. Tight. And tight though, because yes. he was saying that was like peak drugs. They were drugs partying. They were really bad on that tour. I'll say this: they were tight as shit on stage, man. All of them, insane. And I was never uh, Nine Inch Nails fan, but man, seeing those guys—I've seen them a few times live. That 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 live show is made me a fan. It's I insane. It's unbelievable, and it's even better now, and not in the chaotic way. My number three is Kiss. It's 1998 Kiss. I never got to see Kiss with the makeup on. Uh, I'm with my boy, Mike, and we go to Toronto, and we're sitting there, and we're just excited. We're like little kids. 
And I know it's a reunion, but it's the first reunion. So it's 99. Everyone still looks really good. Everybody's right. ready to play. And they're all excited to be back together. So they walk out on stage and I'm eight years old. <laughs> yeah. Years old. Oh my God. These superheroes that I've known my whole life. I've seen every live show. I've seen every bootleg, everything. Yep. But to sit there, stand there and they come walking out on stage. Yeah. I, I, nothing's ever taken me back like that before. It's amazing. Just to you, see it live. I mean, for on your necks rising up and you're freaking out and you're shaking. You're like, Holy fuck. How is this possible? And Sebastian Bach, we could see. He's in the front row and he's got his hair. Uh, Skid Row. Right. They're still getting mentioned today on the show. <laughs> and Sebastian Bach is just because we're in Toronto and it's his first time seeing them well, oh. as well, with the makeup on and stuff. And he's the biggest kiss fan in the world. Sure. And we see him thrashing in the front. We're way back, but um, the thrill of them walking out on stage is one of the great concert experiences of my entire life. Oh my God, they're walking and they're going to play for us right now. <laughs> Holy, the, from when I was seven, that, the, those, the four, ah, it was great. Hey, Rod, uh, welcome to Toronto. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but that I'm moment gonna, is huge. I'm going to wuss out. I'm going to just put Woodstock in it too. The whole sure. experience, the weekend, uh, you know, I, I would have beat you up if you just said Jazz Fest. I would have wanted a specific, a specific no, set or a band, you know, because, you know, you go to, you go to Jazz Fest, you go for the weekend. Well, Woodstock was a weekend. Right. The experience of that was just, you know, we talked about it and it was amazing. Uh, I, I went to go see Our Lady Peace and I can't remember what else I went to go see that weekend. It's just limp, you know, you know, tragically hip and, and, right. uh, and Kid Rock, but it's Limp Biscuit, it's Rage, it's Metallica. What the fuck? That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. What, when I say it out loud, I just go, <clears throat> I'm ex it's exhausting. Yeah, I'm tired. Those, it's, it, it makes me tired to say those three bands back to back to back. It's like, I need a nap saying them. Dude, you don't even um, have to make the documentary. You know what happened? Those three bands. <laughs> documentary's over. Who can fucking do anything afterwards besides sit in the woods and play drums on your garbage can? That's it. Number one show uh, I ever saw. It was pretty easy. It was going to see the Tragically Hip in Vancouver. Nice. Um, I've talked about them several times on, on this podcast. Tragically Hip is just my favorite band uh, ever. And uh, the lead singer got brain cancer. And he knew he was going to not be around long. He wanted to do a farewell to Canada. He did eight shows. And I told my wife, I don't care what it costs. We're going. He's not coming here to the States. He's not going to even, everybody thought maybe he was going to dip into Buffalo or maybe Detroit, you know, some of those border cities. And it, it wasn't a snub. It just, it was just Canada. Yep. They, he wanted to thank Canada. Uh, there was no ill will. There's no, like, I'm sure people were disappointed that he didn't come here to the States, but the man's life was not going, he was not going to be alive. I don't know how to explain. We talked about Tom Petty. We didn't know he was going to die shortly after we saw him. That's true. You should always cherish these moments when you see these bands play because you don't know how long they're going to be around. And I did talk about some things that even happened the week of the recording of this podcast, the anniversaries that we just had to go through. Right. But we knew that 
Gord Downey was not going to be alive. I can't articulate the songs, how important they are to me, the songs, that how much I love them. My wife's become a fan over the years. And him singing these songs and still singing them well, okay? He didn't go out at the very, very end. He knew he was going to... Um, I, I, he just knew he wasn't, he, he wasn't going to be at his best in, in those last couple of months of his life. So while he could do it, he did it. And it, the, the, it's just the most emotional thing ever. And at the end, he just said, thank you. And he tried to walk off stage and they're like, nope, no, you're not. You're not. They pushed him out there. You know, like when a guy gets the, everybody at the baseball park and they push him out of the dugout, yep. they made him stand there. And I just, I get emotional thinking about it. Everybody's just bawling, just bawling. The greatest concert. It will never, ever be bested. It just won't. It just won't. Because knowing what you knew going into it, it changes every word he sings. The lyrics will change. The meaning meaning of everything he's saying has a different weight to it. You know, the lyrics, you're going to pay attention to more. They're going to hit you differently. And it changed everything, you know? So many different things about, you know, there's documentaries on it now and everything. They had this huge stage where they're playing in Vancouver and he wanted everybody tight. He wanted everybody in like the club days, yep. you know, and he just, you could see the absolute enjoyment in his eyes. They had him on the big screen the whole time and he just took it in. He was taking it in. I'm looking at a man that's not going to be here in six months. It's hard to process. It's hard to process it. And it just goes to show you that music is more than just music. Oh, it's way more. But think about this. And this is a weird question to ask. But and and again, being dead is never going to be good, obviously. But to go out the way he did, he got the and and I don't and I'm not going to phrase this right, but I'm going to try. He got to go out doing something he loved. Absolutely. So he kind of I know he had cancer. He didn't choose fucking cancer. I get that. But he did say, you know what, let's go out. And give it one more rip. So in a way, you have to look at it. And I'm, I'm not phrasing this right at all. He got to go out on his own terms. He didn't go sit in a hospital Correct. bed and just say, fuck it, I'm going to die. You know, there's something to be said about right. that. And of course, he wanted to He wanted to have those moments with his band. He, mm-hmm. They've been playing together forever. But we, and I say we, I'm talking as fans now, we really felt like he was doing it to say thank you. Yep. And... The appreciation that he showed, it's like, none of that is necessary, dude. We're here for you, man. Right. And he's like, and he just, he's like, thank you. You know, and he wasn't jumping around and he wasn't as animated as you of I have seen him in the past, but right. it, it, it was just the most special thing ever. Just the absolute greatest. All right. And that's, and that's why I, I like when I take, I do shows now, like, like when the Stones were coming, I'm like, I told my son who's almost 13, I said, dude, I don't know if you know the Stones. I said, I'm going to spend all this money on a ticket for a 13-year-old to go see the Rolling Stones. But it's an investment that he'll be able to say someday, I got to see the fucking Rolling Stones, man. When these bands come around now, go see them because you never freaking know. And you don't want to be that guy going, shit, I didn't get to see Tom Petty because I just was didn't want to get wet or whatever. You know, you got to take advantage, especially these older acts. They're running out. Yeah. You know, Eddie Van Halen's gone. You know, that's not going to happen again. I can't wait. We've been getting some great interaction on all of our social media and stuff. I can't wait to see 
people's top five concerts. That's going to be really fun to me. I, I, I hope everybody plays along like you've been doing great. I cannot wait to read the shows that you've been at. Uh, I can't wait for big dumb Pete Pierre to throw it in our faces that he saw David Lee Roth on the 1984 tour. Wow. He's the same age as us. And that's the one that he held over my head. Now I saw Iron Maiden a hundred times and it took him forever to see Maiden. So he's got that on me now, but I, I can't wait for somebody that had cool parents that took them to go see kiss in 77, you know, <laughs> no, no, didn't, you know, that's, that's a, that's a rare thing, but you know, what's fun is, um, the, 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 we did a, what do we do? Cover songs last week. I don't even remember. And I've been we getting texts. I've been getting texts from friends. Dude, what about this? What about this? What about this? I haven't had time to listen to everything from last week yet. Like the great thing for this podcast for me is other than doing this show with you is, um, all the shit I'm learning. I got to go watch a bunch of movies now. I still haven't had time to watch all the movies we've talked about. And you learn about these movies through people who are interacting with us. And I know we don't have a lot of time left here, Rod, but um, you did want to talk about podcasts. I do. Let's do that quickly because this can't go on for four hours, but um, let's do a quick, quick break. And then we'll come back and talk quickly about podcasts uh, if we can. Yeah, I want I, I, on a podcast. I wanted to talk about podcasts and plus Weird. we'll wrap up with our with our final thoughts. All right, uh, New Orleans guys, plan on a road trip. New Orleans, listen. Of course, you're going to go to the French Quarter. Yeah. Okay, that's where you're going to go. You go to New Orleans. You go to the French Quarter. You party balls. Spend some time with the Pirates of the Quarter, our good friends. Okay, the Pirates of the Quarter. Uh, these guys, they're awesome. They know the real rich history. That's in the French Quarter. It's the most unique walking tour in all of the French Quarter. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a bunch of walking tours. There's a bunch of things that you can do. These guys, I, I don't like to put tours against one another. We're all pro New Orleans here, but these guys give you real history, okay? They're not making up a bunch of shit. They do give you real history of where you're standing. They'll walk you through the French Quarter and what the Pirates did and where they did what they did. It's an amazing time. It goes by so quick. You're still partying. you got your beers with you because you can walk around with them. The Pirates telling you all of these great tales. You're going to learn some stuff. It's pretty amazing. Awarded the Traveler's Choice Award um, by TripAdvisor last two years. So you need to discover the pirate history of New Orleans at piratesofthequarter.com. If you are planning a trip, book in advance. These things do book up, all right? So they can take a bunch of you out there. You're going to stop into a few pubs and stuff. You're going to be drinking. You're going to be having a good time, but you're going to really learn a lot here. Uh, Links on the Play Pants podcast page, YouTube page, but at Pirates of the Quarter, everything. Uh, The social media director is phenomenal. At Pirates of the Quarter on all social media, and you can book online. Book your tour. When you book your plane ticket, boom, book a tour, all right? Plan in advance. Always plan your trip in advance. Don't be a dumbass to show up and go, oh, I don't know what you should do. No. Fucking, there's so much information online for whatever you want to do. Book in advance. Get your shit together. Jason, we're doing a podcast. This is a podcast. I and can't believe we're still doing it. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a big deal right now. It's the fastest growing media channel in the United States of America. It's fast, fast, fast. There's a ton out there. So I, this is a great time to say thank you. Anybody that, number one, is still listening and hanging in there, because we know how long the average person kind of hangs in on a podcast. Right. 
the, the more you start digging around, you, you, you know, and you learn things about it, you know, I, not that we're getting better, but we're just, we're learning some things as we're going through this process. So I sent Jason a bunch of stuff and, you know, we do, we, we, you got to look at it and see just to make sure that you're kind of keeping up with everything. I am amazed at how popular podcasts are. Now, this is coming from a guy that's finally agreed to do a podcast. I brought this idea to Jason two years ago, and then I dragged my feet because podcasting is not a part of my life. Um, I don't do road trips. I didn't, you know, I, I, I listen to the radio. I'm on the radio. I listen to the radio in the car. I have a seven minute drive to work and I got a kid. So if I do get a little bit of time, I still want to kind of old school, you know, my thing, I kind of want to read a book. I don't listen to podcasts. I feel like I'm the only one. I sent you a bunch of numbers over there. And it's just, it's easy to say a majority of Americans are listening to podcasts right now. They're so popular reaching the amount of consumers. And, you know, and at some point we're going to have to probably start adding some other ads to this thing because advertisers want in on this medium right now. So point blank, Jason, do you listen to podcasts? Is there one that you listen to every week? Let's just throw Joe Rogan out there. He's the, he's the big dog out there. Um, I would lie if I said that I never heard Joe Rogan on a podcast, but maybe one or two. And I listened for a half hour of somebody that I wanted. David Lee Roth was on and Alex. Who's that Alex weirdo guy that has all the conspiracy theories. I watched about uh, 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I know who Alex, jo- no, I don't know. Alex okay. Jones. Yeah. yeah. Jones. I-, I watched. So my podcast history other than ours is watching Joe Rogan for about 25 minutes twice. That's it. I'm out. Wow. That's not a, when I I'll, I'll go to Florida. I'll go, shit. You don't listen to it all. Do you? I'll at go to all. When I go to Florida or I do a road trip <clears throat> to drive somewhere, I'll put in a podcast. Cause man, that drive goes twice as fast. It's a brilliant thing, but I'm going to listen to like historical shit. I'll learn about presidents or I'll learn about some historical shit. I'm a nerd. Can I ask you? Yeah. Have you ever listened to true crime? No, no, I don't give a shit. What is it? I don't know. Don't care. It's just like somebody talking about, is it like the murder porn that my wife watches on the ID channel? Yeah. Just, but somebody narrating it all? Basically explaining crimes or going back on old crimes that have been solved and things like that. I'm sure it's fascinating, but- Because that's huge. It's huge in the podcast world. I don't have time for it. What I don't understand, and and this is where (laughs) I'm going to fucking shoot us in the foot is- I do. I, I like the historical ones because I'm learning something along the way. It's good factual okay. information. I know it's research. It's NPR shit. And it makes my drive go uh, faster. Um, the Joe Rogan stuff I'll watch if he's got a guest and I'll just watch the clips on YouTube. I don't watch the whole thing. I'll just watch uh, Tarantino was just on. So I'll watch that because that's cool. I love Tarantino. And I'll watch who I like his guests, you know, and I'll watch those. And I'll do he that has quite a bit. For like two, three hours, doesn't he? Yeah, but I'm just going to get to the good parts. I'm not going to fuck around. Okay. Um, I don't understand. I understand, but I don't understand. Is podcasts like the one we're doing? I don't know why people listen to this. <laughs> I have no idea. And thank you for doing it, by the way. But when we first started this, I was like, well, who the fuck's going to listen to this? You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll get a couple of people to listen. Maybe our friends will get a couple of listeners from the radio shows. But I didn't think... It was doing well. Our podcast is doing pretty damn well right now. We're getting numbers. People are digging it. We get more people every week and it's going fine. 
And I say that, but I also know the answer. What are you, where are you carving out the time to do this? Now, again, I'm going to be, I'm over here crying the blues. Okay. I got a three-year-old and it just takes up all the time. You know, I mean, it's, it's me and my wife and we're splitting things, but it's just, it kind of takes up all the time, all the time in their car, in your car. It's only, it's only one kid, you know? So I'm not, I'm not doing anything special over here that everybody hasn't already done or doing People are multitasking as they're podcasting. So I'm look, I'm kind of digging into this. Almost a third of you are doing other things while you're podcasting. Sure. So great. You're out for a run. You're out for a walk. Maybe you're working out. I mean, I need music for that. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're out for a run and you're listening to this, thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for tuning in. And those of you that watch the YouTube channel, thank you. Most people say that they're multitasking as they're listening. I'm assuming right. what you said, driving. I don't have specific. Well, I do have specific. No, the driving, driving's a big deal, man. They putting that shit on, and because it's it's long form. I tell you, man, I love it because I listen to a one hour podcast. That hour goes by in five minutes. I'm like, holy shit! I'm halfway to where I gotta be. The podcasting is better than music for what for the road trip because the music. Okay. I mean, especially for me, I've heard of so many songs over and over a million times. I'm just listening to the song, the podcast. I'm escaping into the world of these people talking and I'm learning and I'm hearing these things. And then I'm like, wait, how do we get here so fast? Holy shit. Who's driving? Oh, I am. Holy fuck. Do we hit anybody? Like you get taken away in the podcast. And I think a lot of people who drive a lot, uh, I get messages from dudes. Oh, I'm on the road all the time. We listen all the time. You know, we're this, we travel a lot, this kind of thing. You know, you're, you're a person who, um, you know, you fly a lot for business and flights are coming back, you put the earbuds in, you listen, you know, you listen for that hour. And, you know, for us, again, we're not the historical podcast. We're, you know, the way I describe this podcast, to all my friends is, yeah, there's two dipshits talking about dumb shit. That's really what we're doing. <laughs> I'm not selling this. I know. Don't put me in front of advertisers, by the way. I mean, <clears throat> bro, I mean, can you come up with something a little flashier? Uh, yeah, two dips. No, I can't. I can't do it. But <laughs> but but when I say this, when I don't understand why people listen to this, I think it's because what we talk about is fairly relatable. I mean, we're not blowing anybody with any really spectacular information. Maybe the music information we give occasionally is interesting. You know, there's stuff that I learned that you tell me, and I'm sure vice versa. But it's a you're no, making. Never. Of course not. <laughs> but I think I think what I've learned about this podcast specifically and I'm sure it's for the same for others, is the connection with our listeners, I find it to be even more relatable, more, they give a lot more. Now, now you've got a different situation. You've got a morning show, so you've got a lot of great interaction with listeners through social media and stuff. I'm just playing Leonard Skinner songs all damn day, right? So I don't get as much interaction, but I find through this, People will specifically name us and they'll be like, hey, man, what you said about this was cool. And hey, man, did you know about this? What you said is actually this, this, you get this. To, because you get to speak. I mean, even for me, I got a huge outlet to to talk a lot in the morning, Correct. but not this much. No, you know, I mean, I can't just sit around and shoot the shit for an hour and a half. No, I mean, <laughs> nobody wants know, to listen I, to this like that. Yeah. Correct. So. I, I feel like I get a lot of time to talk in the morning, but not like this, you know? And then you and I haven't worked worked together. Correct. Because this is kind of work 
you know, there, not a penny's being made here. It's fucking um, work for me. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that was that was very appealing to me, and like being able to go just this much further. You know, I can tell some stories on the radio, and then boom, you got to get in, out, whatever. And this here's the fucking traffic. Okay, boom, we can expound a little bit more. But when it comes to digging around and you know who's listening and and it is, it's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. It's great. I guess it's just the number one thing people are doing is, is walking. If, if they are multitasking now, there's somebody that's just sitting there listening to a podcast, sitting at the computer and watching us on YouTube. And that's awesome. Or they're whoever their favorites are. Walking is the number one thing that if you are multitasking, it's the top thing that people do. Guys, go for a walk, man, and listen to us, okay? Yeah, I talk about this it. all the time. Walking is our superpower. Be like Jason, go out and run, but at bare minimum, walk, okay? Driving a car was number two. Uh, exercising was up there. And then it comes to, hey, if I'm online, then I'm going to check out a podcast. But I thought it was interesting that walking was the absolute number one, even more so than people being in the car. What if that has anything to do with like the pandemic and you, people with parks were jammed? People are outside more often now. You know, the numbers are going to be skewed for everything we do the next couple of years because of the COVID situation. But you know what's great for the podcast for, for our standpoint from the from the from the production side of it is how many times, and I've done it a million times in the last 17 episodes, you get time to think while we're on this podcast. When you're doing your radio bit, there's not enough time to really think. You know, you're just like, okay, say this. Okay, this this could be a funny line. And you're in the moment. You're in the moment. You're in the moment. Okay, here's fucking traffic. Here's weather. This, how many times have you been talking? I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yep. And you can you can go back around and talk about something else. You actually get to be a human being in the podcast. In the radio world, we'd be destroyed. <laughs> we'd be destroyed by program directors. Yeah. It's, it's just because it doesn't work. It's a different world. It's it has made me better. Animal. This has made me better. Um, so what did you think when you saw Mundo in Dallas, Texas, he's wearing a Rod Ryan show bucket hat and he's holding up a sign at a wrestling event and it says play pants podcast. I don't know when was the last time you watched wrestling, but signs are still a big deal there. Correct. Right. Right. So he had a sign of ours that he was trying to get it on TV, Play Pants Podcast. On the flip side of that, he had passed the gravy. He's been a big fan of Alex's for years. He's part of the right. gravy gang and, and all of those guys. And a bunch of those guys have come over to check us out because Alex has been cultivating these guys for years. When we do our 17th podcast, Alex is on his 417th of, of Pass the Gravy. Um, a lot of those guys yeah. will chime in on social media. They've all been very cool. They, they don't. They don't. Who what the did fuck you think I, about they, seeing somebody holding a sign up for our podcast at a wrestling event in Dallas, dude? <laughs> like you know, coming through this business. In all fairness, you know, anytime you get to someone recognize you, it's always going to be kind of cool, okay? Or you know, you, every once in a while, you end up on TV doing something, right? That's always cool. I got. I've got to be honest. I have not been excited about seeing something that I have been associated with <laughs> in, <laughs> in a long time. I, I got to be honest. I fucking ran around showing everybody in the house immediately. I go, holy shit, check this out. Holy fuck. Now, no offense, but the dude took 30 seconds to make the sign. He just took a Sharpie and wrote it. There was no artwork or nothing. I didn't Correct. care. That's what even made it better. That's what yeah. made it better. 
It, dude, I it, was more was excited. A, I thought it was a pretty good representation of the show. I mean, <laughs> slap oh, no, together, Sharpie in, in the parking lot on your way in. People are stepping on your poster as you're trying to do it right outside the door. Dude, <laughs> I got to be honest. I got pretty excited about that. I think I think you posted something like, holy shit, that's fucking great. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is insane. And, that's and this- Raymundo. And he's a, he's a great dude. He's been a great listener for a long, long time. He's comes out to all our shit. And again, a huge part of the gravy gang. And, you know, some of those guys are coming over to check us out too, which is nice. It is cool, man. And um, I wanted to say happy birthday to Emily Brown. <laughs> Apparently it's her birthday. This comes out on Thursday. This is her birthday on Thursday. Uh, she's, she's always chiming in on social media and she, uh, she just said that, uh, uh, tomorrow was the birthday. So my birthday is tomorrow. Perfect day for a new episode. Emily from El Campo. So Emily, rock and roll. Thanks. And happy birthday. So it's these type of connections that are very yeah. cool. And, and, and we're learning about this. I didn't like, like I said, I, I don't know why people listen to this. I really don't, you know, <laughs> and I'll, I'll be fired tomorrow and it'll be some other dude fucking sitting across from you tomorrow. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't. But I, I, I say that, but I also know why. It's the connection. It's they, they, they must like what we talk about. I don't know. I don't know. Top five list, maybe. Is that it? <laughs> it can't be that. I, you you got to send us some more ideas for top five, man. Like, I came up with this one like 10 minutes before we went to air. So, uh... I, you know, I had one uh, that I sent you. It was uh, top five games you all used to play as a kid, not non-video. Right, right, right. And it sounds lame as shit, but it's summertime. You know, you go camping, you're out there, you're fucking bringing Connect Four or cards and shit. I, I think there's some, some room for some love in there somewhere down the road. I like it. I like it. All right, let's do some final thoughts and get out of here. Jason, any final thoughts? No, man, I'm, I'm still going through. Oh, you know what? Final thought? I, I fucking suck at this job. I swear to God, I prepared for this. This here, Ron, I know you've probably got one of these. This is yeah, I do. a fishbowl. You got to watch the YouTube. Of concert, what are you gonna do with these ticket stubs? I don't know. I've had this for years. Uh, Motley Crue, you went to Lakefront Arena, two thousand five. So I've got these concert ticket stubs. I'm I'm digging around like I'm gonna drop bingo numbers right now in this bowl of hundreds of concert ticket stubs. So tell me, you haven't had this thought, and you're kind of a crafty guy, and you have a bar, Steve, in your backyard. Why haven't you done like the bar top with those and that real thick? kind of clear shit that I don't know what it is. Cause I'm half a man. Um, what is that epoxy clear oh, stuff yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You, that you put on? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do something with those handy Dude, guy with a bar in his backyard? I'll tell you fucking why it's because I'm doing stupid podcasts with you. I ain't got time for that shit. Dude, a rush. I, I saw, I saw a rush. I don't even remember seeing this fucking show. I, Ozzy and Rob Zombie. Dude, I'm going to go through these concert tickets. Holy shit. I've seen a lot of cool shows. Yeah, that's my final thought. I save a bowl with all my old concert tickets. That's kind of cool. Rob, uh, you, already said it on, you, already, you already said it on the show. Um, but I think we all kind of feel this way. And it's a, it's a good way to kind of to get out of here. Uh, go see the concerts. There's concerts. There's a few coming up that are during the week uh, that I have circled. Um, Hella Megatour is I think during the week, but it's at Minute Maid Park and it's just the experience. We don't get a lot of concerts where the Astros play, you know, and it's just cool. You know, I mean, Billy Joe is going to be fucking jamming on second base. You know, that's where the stage is going to be. It's just a different thing. Like go to the concerts, go to the concerts. If it's just 
going back to our Tom Petty, Petty story, <clears throat> we didn't want to go that day. It was rainy. It was muddy. We just were like, ah, you know, it's kind of nasty outside. Let's not go. And we all went and it's we just couldn't great. believe how great it was while we were there. And then again, the man passed away shortly afterwards. And that truly was one of his last shows. So we saw it. Um, there's plenty of people that have passed that I didn't see and kick myself for that. Go to the concerts. We all know, go to the shows. They're coming back. Every band is going to be out touring. Go to the concerts when you want to go, even when it's a little inconvenient and you're feeling your age that maybe Shit. during the week's not right for me. Go to the show. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. There's no shame in leaving uh, stay for the first half, you know, check out the opening band, stay for the first half of your guys. And then there's no shame in walking out. You got the money, just go, uh, just so that you saw them. Yeah. You got to see the, you got to see the shows, man. It's like, you know, Van Halen was supposed to go out. They were working on putting together a huge tour and it never happened. Eddie Van Halen's dead, man. And if I'd have missed seeing them, uh, that would have sucked. That would have absolutely freaking sucked. I wasn't even a big Tom Petty fan, but I saw him live twice became a big fan and then to see him that last time holy shit that's you know that's but that's what adds that that weight to that show too you know the the after the fact jazz fest uh coming up in october you hear us talk about how much we love it you can get tickets uh, shows don't sell out right i mean no, is those... there any is like foo fighters are playing on sunday well they Do might you, have know. you ever seen a situation where a jazz fest has sold out no, no, they, they'll shoehorn your ass in there. It's brutal. Correct. You don't want to do that. I don't think we'll have a problem this time. And I don't know if there's going to be any restrictions due to the COVID situation by October. Who knows where we're going to be? Ugh. I don't know if they're going to limit it. To, I don't know. I don't want to think about it, man. I'm just come in. We'll go see, we'll go see the shows. We'll have a good time. We'll do a podcast while, we're, while, we're, while you're here. I got to take Monday off of work. I thought the Foo Fighters were going to be on Saturday and they're on Sunday. Boo-hoo me. That's oh, all right. I'm turning terrible. it into a long weekend. I've already taken the, I've already taken the day off. Good work. I like it. Monday that's a good, following. that's good stuff, man. All right. Well, let's, let's, that's enough. I've had enough of this shit for today. I'm out. I'm done. I'm leaving. Episode 17 in the books. There's nobody, there's nobody listening to this, but if you are, man, thank you. Thank and you why? so much. Why are you doing it? I don't get it. Smash. <laughs> smash things. You're supposed to smash something. I don't know. What do podcast people say? I never saw one. I never smash, listened to one. Smash the subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us. Tell your friends. And then visit our sponsors, Lucky's Pub uh, West in Houston. And if you're coming to New Orleans, go on that crazy Pirates of the Quarter, French Quarter walking tour. There you go. We've plugged all our sponsors for now. Yes. Hopefully we'll get more in the future. There you go. See you. Good night. Later. Let's go. It's time. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. See us on our YouTube channel. And follow our social media pages at PlayPantsPod. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.